when we first saw it, you know, composited with the shots of the plane, we were just blown away. It's it's literally movie magic. Welcome to Push In, the Cinevic podcast. I'm your host, Joyce Klein, coming to you from the unceded territory of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, otherwise known as beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. I have no idea how I'll ever fit all the questions I have for today's guest into a 10-minute podcast. But when a filmmaker can shoot a suspenseful and actually kind of spiritual adventure film set entirely in the cockpit of a CF-104 fighter jet, I'm going to try to cram in as much as I can. So buckle up, folks, for my interview with Vancouver filmmaker Noah Penner about his incredible film, Alone in the Arctic Skies. Scene one. Welcome to Push In, Noah. Thanks so much, Joyce. Thanks for having me. There's tons I want to ask, but first, how about you set the scene with a logline description? Uh, Alone in the Arctic Skies is it's an aviation adventure drama about a pilot in the cockpit of a, as you say, CF-104 fighter jet uh, over the Canadian Arctic during the Cold War. So tell me, Noah, what was the inspiration for Alone in the Arctic Skies? There's this comic book series that was drawn by... It wasn't the same author as the famous Tintin series, but it was the same magazine uh, out of Belgium. And when I was growing up, um, it was in my local library in Nova Scotia. And it was in French, so my dad had to translate it for me. But it was about this pilot named Dan Cooper. And uh, it was about his adventures in a CF-104 from anywhere from the Arctic to Norway to you name it. Uh, just anywhere that was kind of a hot zone in the Cold War. And... I had so many good memories of this comic, especially because, you know, it was my dad reading it to me and I wanted to find it, but I couldn't because it was never published here. And I looked for 20 years. So jump forward to 2019, I was off traveling in Paris and I was walking down the street and I saw a, um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but band designee and, you know, 50% of it's Tintin, the other 50% is Asterix. So I walked up to the clerk and in my, you know, best French, I asked, uh, do you have the adventures of Dan Cooper? And he said, ah, oui, oui, oui. And uh, he pulled out like this stack of these things and I hadn't laid eyes on them in 20 years. You know, it was really incredible to see what kind of inspired my memories that I'd carried with me for so long and what I had already drawn from for Arctic Skies. But Dan Cooper was certainly an incredible inspiration. Scene two. Where and how did you shoot the film? Um, so we shot the majority of the film at the Langley Air Museum. And there are actually two CF-104s on display to the public in British Columbia. One is in Langley, and that one has the seat intact. So kind of facing towards the tail of the airplane. But the panel and the instruments, they're all gone. So all of the instrumentation close-ups in the film were shot in the other CF-104, which is in Comox. In your film, it's night in an unlit cockpit, and the pilot is wearing an oxygen mask, and all we can see are his eyes. And your actor, Evan Gilmore, was, I thought, incredible. He was so specific. I felt you must have given him a very clear idea of where he needed to go at every moment. How scripted or storyboarded was Arctic Skies? So in terms of uh, storyboards, we, we actually didn't have um, specific storyboards. We just had beat boards. So kind of like one board per scene, uh, just because I, I like to have the freedom on set to kind of make decisions on the fly. And I'm, I'm always a little nervous that storyboards will lock us into something. But in terms of working with Evan, I mean, he's a phenomenally talented actor. I, I gave him a clear idea, of course, of what the story was about. But one thing I enjoyed so much was I, I kind of let him take his own journey. 
Um, we shot the movie over the course of two nights and we shot it in chronological order too. So that kind of helped him uh, feel the flow of the story. And one of the reasons I, I wanted to work with him was because his own experience wasn't completely similar to the pilots, but it was similar to uh, some experiences I've had in my life as well. And he just had it. You know, I, I, I knew what I wanted in the audition room and no one else had it but him. You used some practical effects, some of them pretty cool old school techniques. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, this is where I have to give a shout out to our fantastically talented visual effects artist, uh, Calvin Romain. Initially, we were going to do the entire film practically. And that was partly because, you know, visual effects for people who aren't familiar with it, they're kind of out of reach a bit. They're very labor intensive, very expensive. And during prep for this movie, we found the demo for uh, a VisFX artist in Vancouver who had done uh, one of his film school projects in that exact plane. And it looked fantastic. So we started talking and one thing led to another. And he's like, OK, I'll, I'll do the entire movie. And it was a real honor and a privilege to work with him. That workflow was interesting because usually movies don't have a single unified vision behind VisFX. But in terms of the practical stuff, you know, what I learned on this project is just how to provide the resources and, and the elements, so to speak, to really streamline a VisFX workflow and to really achieve a lot for very little. And the most obvious thing we used was a cloud tank, um, which is kind of a, an effect started by, or it was invented by Douglas Trumbull, I think. And it's surprisingly, I don't want to say it's easy to do, but it's doable. And when we first saw it, you know, composited with the shots of the plane, we were just blown away. It's, it's literally movie magic. Scene three. So the burning question is, how long did post take? And what was that like? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it was definitely a, 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 an adventure in of itself because I'm used to working on set. I'm used to working on short projects where, you know, within a few weeks, you'll have picture lock and then like a week or two in sound design and then you're done. You do your screening and it's fresh in your mind. This film was very different. We shot in summer of 2019 and then the visual effects took until December and it was shot by shot. So like Calvin would... Every every few days, he'd send me a, a quick export. I'd approve it and maybe make a few suggestions. And then we just keep moving through the entire movie. Yeah, it was December. And then sound and color stretched on into uh, January, February. We did our final export in March, a week before COVID shut down all of our post facilities. The sound was also pretty incredible. Everything from like the jet engines roaring to the eerie ethereal sounds of the north for the northern lights. Can you just tell us a little more about how you worked with that? Absolutely. Honestly, for me, I love sound design. It's one of my favorite parts of the filmmaking process. And I think that the way that people typically go about learning filmmaking nowadays really underprioritizes good sound. You know, sound is 50% of the entire experience, and it can make a, a visually choppy experience smooth as anything. For this film, uh, I, of course, knew who I wanted to work with, Noah Meyer, just a fantastically talented sound designer. We wanted to record a guide track on the day to kind of give him a nice reference, but we found out on set that the canopy of the, F of the CF-104, you couldn't run a sound wire through it, because if the canopy was open, even an inch, it would look, it was so obvious. So the whole film was MOS, which is to say shot without sound. And so all of the sound you heard was from scratch. Wow. Like it was completely blank slate. I edited the film silently. And yeah, Noah Meyer, you know, he worked his magic. He had plugins. He had a huge sound library. And we just sat down for hours and hours and had ideas. We spent, I think, three days mixing the movie, just trying different 
variations to see kind of which sounds when brought up in the mix would change the feeling of certain scenes. And with sound design too, I love the idea that you can exaggerate certain things that aren't realistic. Like several times in the film, you hear the plane flexing and like the metal kind of buckling under stress. And if that really happened, the plane would just, you know, break apart and that'd be the end of it. But in a movie, that's just, that's so, there's so much suspense to it. The same thing was done in uh, Das Boot, the famous German submarine movie. The rivets would pop out of the submarine once it reached depth. It would never happen in reality, but on screen, it's just, it's terrifying. It amps the suspense, you know, a hundredfold. I have to ask this too. It's probably, it might be a stupid question, but those jet engines, did you actually, was that actually jet engines? Uh, Did you actually use them in reality? So there are two working F-104s in the world right now. Uh, One of them's in Norway and the other one was in Washington and it had been converted into a car. And the week we started sound design, unfortunately, that car crashed and the driver was killed. So like it's completely out of commission. So we were a bit stumped, to say the least, uh, because the F-104, you know, it's basically a a missile with a man in it. That's the common uh, word that pilots would use to describe it. We ended up finding a plug-in. I can't remember what it was, but it just happened, of all things, to have a F-104 option where you could have, like, it would give you settings for, like, what to emulate. That's uh, Engine throttle. And so we we used that the entire film, and it sounded amazing. It gave that high-pitched, not like a roar, but like a, like a whine of the engine that just mm, was perfect. Thank you for a really fascinating interview, Noah, and best of luck with your film. Thanks so much, Joyce. Thanks for having me. Tail Slate. And that's a wrap. Join me, your host, Joyce Klein, for the next episode of Push In, the Cinevic Podcast. 